We are in Daniel 6 tonight as we continue on in our series. You know, as I was studying this, uh, there's somewhat of a challenge that comes with the familiar, isn't there? Especially when it comes to texts in Scripture. I can tell you one thing that isn't familiar tonight, and uh, that's the Cowboys with the Super Bowl. They haven't been familiar with that in several years. Uh, I can tell you, in fact, the last year they were in the Super Bowl, my mom was like five months pregnant with me. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a minute. So, and let's be honest, it's probably not going to change because um, I think the common denominator of all that is Mr. Jerry Jones. So I don't think anything is really changing anytime soon in regard to that. But we do come to a familiar passage, and there does... There are some challenges that, that come with that in the sense that when you, when you read a passage, especially if you grew up in church, or even, even if you didn't, this is a very common, common passage, Daniel chapter 6. You read it, and if you're not careful, you think, oh man, that's, that's a great passage. I really enjoy studying that. Or that was a good uh, lesson to learn in Sunday school as a kid. And so when you read it to preach it, it... it there is somewhat of a challenge. However, my job is not necessarily to pull something new from the text that you've never known. If that happens and it's, and it's there, then praise God for it. But we as sinful human beings forget a lot, don't we? We forget about God's faithfulness. We forget about all the benefits that he gives to us on a daily basis. And so that, that was comforting to me as I was studying this. It's, it's not so much about Finding something new in a text that, oh, wow, I've never caught that. And like I said, if that happens, great. But it's to remind us of, of God's faithfulness, um, whether his people are, are faithful or not. So and that's kind of what I was thinking of as I, was, as I had been studying Daniel chapter 6. We're talking about God to the rescue. And in a sense, I, I, I feel as though that could be the title of nearly every message in this series that we've been going through. We see time and time again, God providing for his people. God, seemingly when there is no hope, all of a sudden he shows up. And we're going to see that again today in the life of Daniel. Now, think about Daniel in this time as we approach chapter 6. Daniel is a very interesting book in the Bible. There's different genres of literature. We come to a narrative here. And think about Daniel in his life. At this point, he's an older man, and so he's already seen a lot. He's seen a lot of changes. He's seen a lot of changes in leadership. He has, uh, just think about in chapter 1, you, you see a very young man, but who is firm and steady in his convictions toward uh, his God by following the law of his God, by not, as he says, defiling himself with the king's food. He chooses to follow the dietary laws of his God that, that God gave. And so we see a, a young and virtuous man in chapter 1. Along with that, you, you move on and see in chapters 4 and 5 him interpreting, in chapter 4, interpreting a dream. In chapter 5, you see um, King uh, him, him interpreting the message of the handwriting on the wall. You know, uh, King Belshazzar, he, he brings the the, uh, he hosts this great feast, he gets drunk, he uses uh, gold from the temple, and you, and you know the story, and then he 
sees this handwriting on the wall. Daniel comes and interprets it, and you, you're weighing the balances and found wanting, found lacking, as uh, wanting as King James puts it. And then you get to chapter 6, where we are, and he is much older now. But one thing that has not changed is his resolve to the Lord, his, his faithfulness, his commitment, his conviction. But yet, we see that he's presented with another challenge, another test that lays before him. And so, another transition of leadership comes. We have King Darius stepping onto the scene and as a result, as he steps onto the scene and he leads, uh, he's the ruler, the Medes and the Persians. He, he sets people up in leadership. But since King Cyrus, he gains this great victory so quickly, um, if you look at the history of this time and, and this time period, uh, he has very little time to settle kind of his affairs and settle his leadership. And so as a result, he does choose to leave a lot of the city's ruling class in power. So there are a lot of changes, but at the same time, there are some things that remain the same. I think there's a couple reasons why he does this. One, I think, I mean, he took over very quickly, uh, but also because he, you look at King Darius, and yes, while he's not a follower of God, per se, follower of Yahweh, we do see that he is a caring person. He does uh, seem to care for the people he is, he's leading. And um, so another reason why he might have kept some rulers in place is because he wants them to know, hey, you know, I know a lot's going on right now, but I'm taking care of this. So we encounter this new leadership, new role, but... With new leadership and new roles come new challenges as well, especially for the people of God as you look through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is not excluded in this passage. And so verses 1 and 2 talks about Darius appointing um, governors in leadership roles, but he also appoints Daniel, uh, who's already a leader in, uh, in place, but he sets him up as a commissioner who is actually making sure the men that Darius set up are doing their job. So that says a lot about Daniel, that in the eyes of a pagan king, in the midst of being um, exiled, that they still see him as a faithful servant, as a faithful, trustworthy person. In, in fact, in verse um, 3, we read, it says, Then this Daniel... Began, began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and, and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So as we see this, where it says uh, he possessed an extraordinary spirit, we, we've seen in prior messages before this uh, in this series of the spirit of God being on men of God, you, you see um, with King Saul, even though it's temporary, the Spirit of God dwelled uh, on him. Then who is next? King David. You have him. And then we even talked about, obviously last week, Isaiah talking about the coming king, Christ, obviously, as he uh, preached in the temple 
in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And even though it doesn't say the spirit of God here, it says an, an extraordinary spirit. The fact that Daniel was able to be so faithful for so long, it had to be the spirit of God. The, uh, God himself equipping him for faithfulness, for the tasks which he would experience and which he would encounter. And so as a result, King Darius says, this is a faithful man. I'm, I'm going to set him up to be ruler over everyone that, that um, is under him. What do you think happens because of that? Without even reading this text, you have an exile who is faithful to not just the king in charge, but is faithful to his king, to God, to the king of kings. And you have people um, in authority who are under him or his peers, and he's in exile. You can imagine their jealousy. They, they do not like him. And not just because of who he is, but man, he's done nothing wrong. We can't pin anything on him. In fact, he's such a faithful person. Look at, look at uh, verse 5. It says, Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. There are a couple things I want to cover real quick on this verse. Is First of all, the fact that you know, since they're his enemies, they looked hard to try and find something wrong with, with Daniel. It's not like, ah, we're just observing his life and we can't find anything. If they're his enemies, they're looking high and low for any little flaw in Daniel's life, right? And so they can't find anything. So what do they do? As a result, in, in layman's terms, we're going to beat him at his own game. We're going to beat him uh, we're going to conquer him. We're going to defeat him, if you will, by using the law of his God against him. Now, it's also interesting to note that they knew what Daniel would be doing. They knew that he was a man of prayer. They knew that he would continue to, to pray, that he would continue to seek the face of his Lord. Why? He was always doing it. And so the fact that they were able to say, we'll pin something on him, we, we will uh, construct this scheme against him and then catch him doing what he's always doing, being faithful to his God and praying to him, and then we'll catch him and turn him in. That says a lot about Daniel. It makes me wonder if, man, do people think I am a person of prayer? Can they look at my life and see, man, he prays and he loves the Lord his God. That's something that we have to really assess ourselves in. I know that's not the main thrust of this text, but it is something, it is something to note. The fact that his enemies who were able to look high and low for, for any little flaw against him, and all they could find really was that he was a man of prayer. And so we're going to use that against him. In fact, it says the only way, they say the only way we can, you know, defeat him is if we find against him, uh, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. That's the same exact language of the story of Esther whenever Haman, who hates God's people, says a very similar thing to the king. He says, there's a certain people 
scattered and, dis- and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws, that same phrase, their laws are different from those of all the other people, and they do not observe the king's laws, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. So King Haman did the same thing by saying, you know, it's, it's, these people are different. They're not they're not like us. They, they obey the law of their God, so we need to punish them. Same phrase, same wording here with these people trying to put Daniel in a snare by saying he is faithful, he practices the law of his God, and we need to punish him. And so what happens as a result? Well, they come in agreement in verse 6, and they go to the king and they say, King Darius, live forever. Now remember that phrase, we'll come back to it in a little bit in, the, in this message. King Darius, live forever. And then they say, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the high officials and the governors, they've all consulted together. So we've all gotten together. Obviously, Daniel was not included in this conversation, but they were probably wanting him to maybe think, hey, Daniel's included. That the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to, to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. And on top of that, they know the law of the Medes and the Persians, as it says in verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may be, not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Once there is a law in, there is no changing it, which, as he says in verse 8, which may not be revoked. So they go up to the king and kind of smooth talk and say, King, live forever. And, as, and, and from that, they say, well, essentially, you want to establish that you are the boss. You are the man in charge. You want to establish that you are in control, that everyone is safe under you. And as a result, because of this, we're going to, I think it's wise if you sign a law saying that no one can, can pray or give a petition to anyone other than you for 30 days. Now, I don't think that King Darius was signing this because, I mean, maybe he was arrogant in the fact, oh, this sounds good, it very well could be. But for a man who probably was a good leader who wants to establish security, thinking, okay, I want people to consult with me, this sounds, this sounds okay. And on top of that, the people that are bringing this to the king, they're, they're smart. They say for 30 days. You know, why didn't they just go ahead and say forever? You know, as long as you're ruling, just, just make it a law. But for 30 days, for one, I don't think they want, they probably didn't want to arouse any suspicion. Thinking, what in the world? Why, why is this, where's this come from? Why, as long as I'm in charge? They're probably saying, as you establish your kingdom, this will be a good law to be put in place. And, and I don't think this was the king trying to uh, be established as the sole deity necessarily, because if you look in history in this uh, specific context, that wasn't necessarily what they did. Um, I think it was more so to provide structure um, and, and stability, knowing that there is someone in charge that will keep you safe. So as a result, what happens? Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. He signed it. So what happens? As a result, this goes into effect. No one can pray to anybody or go request to anybody except for the king. 
And of course, they know that this impacts the life of Daniel. So Daniel, as he is later in life, he's an older man, he runs into another test. And you think, man, he's gone through a lot. He shouldn't have to go through this again and again. And he's in exile. He's not even in his own land. So, so why is he having to be put through this? But the challenge that Daniel was presented was made into reality. And so Daniel is caught uh, with a choice. Verse 10, starting out, we see, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed. I like how it, it establishes the fact that Daniel knows. This, this wasn't something that caught him off guard, caught him by surprise. He knew that the document uh, was signed. What happened? He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. It's interesting as you read this, they're almost, um, and I'm not trying to look into this text, but as you read it, you can almost see a sense of calm in Daniel, almost as if he wasn't going to do anything else. Like he didn't even think about doing anything else. He, he's been a man of conviction his entire life. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily make it easy because he knows the consequences of what his actions would be. He knows that if he doesn't pray to God, he knows that if he doesn't pray to his Lord, that he would remain safe, that he would be okay, and he would still be in charge. He would still hold his position. But yet, he knew that the document was signed, and he still entered into the same house, opening the same windows, getting on his knees, and praying three times a day. This is... Um, such a witness, even for the enemies to know, his enemies who made this law, convinced the king to sign this law, they knew for a fact. It wasn't as if he might do this as a 50-50 chance. They knew he was going to do this. When, whenever people who aren't Christians know you are faithful, that is a huge witness. Not about being in your face about it or being someone over the head with the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Just being faithful, being committed being trustworthy, when people who aren't followers of Christ notice that in you, that's whenever you are really being a good witness. And Daniel is no exception here. It, it's, um, we also see that from this, he's, he's praying essentially what uh, David said to do for his people. In the 138th Psalm, we read, I will give you thanks with all my heart, talking uh, how the exile should pray. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple. So Daniel was praising his God among the other gods of the land, opening the windows of his home, praying toward Jerusalem. And he gave thanks to the name of the Lord because his loving kindness and because of his truth as David says, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. That's exactly what Daniel is doing here. And so as a result from this, consequentially, we see the men were spying on him. They're invading his privacy. And so 
says in verse 12, then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? So these same men come up to the king, and it's almost, it's kind of like, um, if you grew up with, with siblings and one's wanting to get the other in trouble and they go up to the parents like, didn't you say this? Do you remember? Um, I remember uh, my dad telling me when he was a kid that he always got in trouble more than his brother. And so one day they were going home uh, from church and my grandfather was driving them and he and my uncle were arguing. He said, when you get home, my grandfather told him, when we get home, I'm getting a spanking. So my dad always got more of them. Well, when they got home, he forgot. And my uncle told my dad, hey, Steve, uh, daddy forgot to spank us. My dad said, he never got whippings. He's like, I took one for the team. Told him, hey, dad, you forgot to spank us. So they both got a spanking. He said, I took one for the team. It's sort of the same thing here, except they're not taking one for the team. They're being even more selfish. They're just throwing Daniel under the bus here saying, didn't you say, didn't you sign this petition? Didn't you sign this law into... Uh, it, it became a law that, according to the Medes and the Persians, any man who makes a petition to any god for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den. The king replied, obviously, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. So he's thinking, yeah, I said that. What's, what's the deal? Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel. I'm sure immediately when he heard his name, he was thinking, oh, no. Daniel, who is one of the exiles, look how they're trying to smear his name too because he's, he's a faithful person. There's nothing uh, really that can be brought against him, but they're doing everything they can to smear his name. Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you. He doesn't respect you. He doesn't uh, hold you in high esteem, which is obviously false, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. So they got him. They caught him red-handed for being faithful to his God. And as you go on, you can see that the king is, is uh, very fond of Daniel by the fact that he spends the rest of the day trying to figure out how can I get him out of this. And so as he's thinking this, <laughs> they come back to him, so annoying, and they say, recognize, O king, as if, you know, remember, remember, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed, as if he needed to be reminded again. They come up to him again, tell him, don't forget, you need to be a man of your word, not, not just a man of your word, this is the law, you need to follow it. And so King Darius realizes there's nothing, there's nothing at this point legally I can do. I'm bound by this law. And so in verse 16, he gets thrown into the den, Daniel does. But look at what the king says. It says, the king spoke after Daniel was cast into the den. King spoke and said to Daniel, your God, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A pagan king not a follower of this God, says the God whom you constantly serve is going to deliver you. How does he know this? I'm sure from Daniel, from the way he lived his life, his faithfulness, 
to his God, and not just his faithfulness to his God, but his faithfulness to the king. He, he and the king got along. He respected him. It's not as if uh, Daniel was, was loud about this. It's not, he didn't open the doors to pray for everyone to see, look at me, look what I'm doing. That's what he just always did, but he wasn't, he, he wasn't going to back down from that either. He prayed continually, and as a result, the king notices this, the fact that he's going to be faithful to his God over the law of the Medes and the Persians. This God has got to deliver you from death. So, he spends a sleepless night, the king does, and I'm sure Daniel did as well, uh, full of prayer. And he spends the sleepless night. Then you see his care for uh, Daniel because it says, then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. There, there's a break kind of in this text that's interesting because if you're just hearing this for the first time and you just stop at verse um, 18, you think, what in the world is going on? I have to know what happens. Just think of how the king felt thinking, and I just threw probably my faithful, most loyal uh, subject in this den, and now he's got to wait all night. Then he rises up early and went in haste to the den. In verse 20, when he came near to the den, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. He said it again, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's? Um, I, I can imagine, as he says, he says it in uh, verse uh, 20, the distress that's in his voice, a troubled voice, the, it probably seemed like an eternity waiting to hear if Daniel would respond. My favorite, yeah, it's my favorite movie, and it's, it's a true event, and I know many of y'all uh, lived through it and, and saw it, but Apollo 13 with, um, you know, the movie Tom Hanks was in it, and he was played the astronaut Jim Lovell. And they, their mission was to go to the moon. And there wasn't much recognition or media attention about it because they had already been to the moon several times, but it gained international attention whenever they found out they wouldn't be going to the moon because the oxygen tanks exploded because of faulty... Um, construction of of their um, you know of their uh, spaceship spaceship so they're trying to make it back to Earth and in the movie they I, I think they do it really accurately when they're returning um, they're coming back to Earth and the command module that they're in obviously there's a heat shield to protect them when they come back to Earth because it's going to be very hot at re-entry at the, the speed and the force in which they're coming back to Earth. And they said, there's a guy that comes up to Gene Kranz or Ed Harris, the actor in the movie, and he tells him, he says, if, if you, you know, we're going to be disconnected from them, from hearing from them, so if we don't hear anything, I think it was two minutes, we know something is wrong. We know they didn't make it. And so in the movie, you're watching it and just waiting and they're counting, says they finally get, that's two minutes standing by. And so they say, Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read me? There's silence. They wait another minute. 
say, that's three minutes. Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? And wait another minute. It's four minutes. Two minutes over what was expected. And then finally, they hear, Houston, this is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. And everyone cheers. And everyone, can you imagine the weight that was lifted off of those men in, uh, in Houston and around the world, their families? I'm sure the same thing the same emotions were felt by this king when he asked him with a troubled voice. King spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God delivered you? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. That's where I want to come back to. O king, live forever. Same guys that, that threw him or that had him thrown in the lion's den said the same thing. I'm pretty sure they weren't sincere about it. Daniel was. The fact that his first words after being thrown into this den and surviving was, O king, live forever. This man is a faithful servant. He says, O king, live forever. And he explains that the angels shut the mouths of the lions and I'm not harmed. And God has delivered me. I have not committed a crime. And so the king is obviously laded over this. And so, verse 24, we read, as we steadily come toward the end of the chapter, then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. It's interesting to look at the, the phraseology here in Hebrew when it says, who had, uh, they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. The exact translation is, they had... Um, they brought the men who had eaten pieces of Daniel. And so as a result, these lions are going to eat them, eat their flesh. It's kind of like a play on words. The Hebrew narrative is so beautiful when you encounter it and just see the language and, and how it is written. These men that took pieces of Daniel and ate pieces of Daniel, throwing them into the lion's den, they're going to experience the same thing and then some. And so they're thrown into... The den with their families, Daniel is delivered. And we see the new decree. Darius goes farther in his decree than King Nebuchadnezzar after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saved from uh, the furnace. See, because Nebuchadnezzar said, no man should speak ill of God. No one should say anything against God. But what does this king say? He says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. They're to respect him. They're to revere him. They're to, to be in awe of him and tremble before him. Why? For he, he says it again, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He calls him the living God and his dominion will be forever. What a testament. Why was he able to say this? Why well, I, I kind of said, I alluded to it earlier. It's not because Daniel was in his face about it. It wasn't because Daniel made a scene or anything. He was quiet in his faith, but he was committed. He was faithful. And as a result, look what it did to the king. He makes this new law. The Lord intervened. And as a result in verse 28, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So how does this apply for us today in our lives? I mean, I think there are many applications. 
Um, one is, and I know that this was written, obviously, way later in a whole different testament in First Peter, but I thought about this, what Peter wrote in First Peter chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And I know that, obviously, um, Daniel wasn't necessarily thinking of Christ here, but still the same thing is applied. He's, he's being reviled in the name of God, in the name of Yahweh. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer. He was not thrown into this den for something wicked or evil he had done. Um, verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian or as a follower, as a believer in the Lord, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Daniel did just that with his life. And as a result, we're still talking about him today. But if Daniel were here today, I don't think he would say the point of this passage is my faithfulness. And as some sermons I'm sure you've heard is, you know, I've heard them, dare to be a Daniel. And there's, there's a lot of truth to be said to that. We are to be people of conviction like Daniel. But if he were here today, I don't think he would say the passage is about me. He would say, God, the God I serve from when I was a young man in chapter one to here in chapter six delivers. He delivered me. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in chapter three, verse 17, he can deliver us, he will deliver us, but if he chooses not to deliver us, we will not bow to your God. We will serve our God. That's what Daniel would say would be the main point of this. God delivers, God is faithful. And on top of that, God, years, generations down the road, provided deliverance by not sparing his own son. By not holding back the wrath against his son so that he could die and would die a criminal's death that you and I deserve so that we could be delivered. So it's my prayer that as we examine this passage, you will see above Daniel's faithfulness, above Daniel's commitment, you will see a God who delivers. And as you go through, as we go through this series, you will find that same God continuing to deliver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for um, Daniel's life, his testimony of faithfulness, being committed to you as a young man. And throughout his whole life, we see that his strength, his convictions, his faithfulness to you did not, wave, did not waver, even though the culture around him did. And so when that happens to us, as this culture becomes more and more uh, hate-filled and hostile toward you, may we be resolute in our convictions. But as we think of this, may the bigger picture we keep in our mind be we are faithful and love you because you first love us and you delivered us and you continue to deliver us. And may we take that message out into the world that you have and you still deliver for anyone who calls upon you. And this we pray in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.